What am I willing to trade in order to truly live out my faith? And in this series, we've been looking at some of the things that Jesus said, and we actually said some of those things to some children, and uh, you've seen some of their responses. It, it didn't really seem reasonable to a child to, to hear some of the things that Jesus actually said in the New Testament. Um, in the same way, as a child of God, which is really all I am at the end of every day, uh, no matter how much uh, of a platform somebody may, or pedestal somebody may place me on, at the end of every day, I'm really just another child of God. And, and I want to be totally honest that some of the things that Jesus said, when I read them, they seem a little unreasonable, okay? Today, as a wrap-up to this series, I want to preach a message very simply entitled, Unreasonable Obedience. Unreasonable Obedience. I, I'm gonna, my wife told me I should give a disclaimer. She didn't tell me that until after she listened to my message in first service. Um, this one is one of those that I really enjoy. Like, I enjoy this kind of preaching, but but everybody doesn't really enjoy this kind of preaching. So don't, don't make a decision based on, on one message or one presentation of the gospel today. Just allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. This is, this is kind of my mantra. It's, it's the style I like. It's like, this is what truly won me into truly obeying and following Jesus. Unreasonable obedience. Turn your Bible to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, you can scroll in your device. Uh, I recommend that you don't act like you're looking at your Bible on your phone and really just scroll on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat. There's a special place in a lake of fire for people that pretend to be reading Scripture. <laughs> Glad you're smiling. Just wait a minute. Okay, so in, in Luke 11, in Luke 11, Jesus is invited to the Pharisee's house, and, and I'm just giving you a little precursor, if you will. Jesus is invited to the Pharisee's house, and, and, and they, they brought Jesus to dinner, but as he was at dinner, they really just began to interrogate him and, and ostracize him and, and put him on the spot. Um, have you ever been invited to dinner, and you thought you were just going to like enjoy some time with this new couple or this family or these people you thought wanted to be your friend? And... And really, there was like a hidden agenda, you know, like a pyramid scheme. Like, it was just right there. It was really there. We're so glad to have you over, Pastor. Are you making enough money for your family? Like, what? I really like the chicken. Yes, thanks for asking. You know, this is, this is kind of what happened to Jesus. He was invited over, and, and he being God, he knew better. I didn't know better, but Jesus knew better, and, and he went anyways. I wouldn't have gone, but he's Jesus, so he went. And this happens, and ultimately, um, Jesus didn't, didn't want to be part of the pyramid scheme. He got up, and he, he left. And when the Bible says, like, when he walked outside, that's not really, they weren't asking him to be part of a pyramid scheme. Some people are looking at me like, what? <laughs> they had those in the New Testament? No, not really, sort of. He goes outside, and then the Bible says, this great crowd comes around him, like thousands in fact, the Bible says the crowd was so large, they were trampling over one another trying to get to him. Okay, that's what's taking place. Like Jesus in this moment is involuntarily pastoring a megachurch. Like he has reached every American pastor's dream. And this is the sermon that he's about to preach to this great following that he has developed. He begins to share not to worry and that they should sell their possessions and give to the poor and uh, that they shouldn't store up for themselves treasure on earth, but, but, but put your investments in a place where moth and rust cannot come in and steal and destroy. And, and, and then he says, because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. But what he didn't say was where your heart is, that's where your treasure will be. 
What he was saying is, if you want to know what you really care about, then just look at what you spend the most money on. Look at what you invest in the most, because that's what you really care about. Like That's where your heart is. And so um, Peter, who was a little bit concerned about all the guests that were at the service that day, as Jesus is talking about money, he comes up and he says, hey, hey, Lord, um, is this like, is this like for us? Or, or is this like for, for all of those people? What he was saying is, did you forget? Like, this was really good last night when it was just like us hanging out. You know, you slap us around a little bit. There's a lot of people here, man. And some of them, they don't really like what you're saying. And so Jesus continues almost as like, oh, yeah? <laughs> Listen to this. And so he goes on and he begins to tell this story about the master and his servant. And when the, the master comes and returns unexpected, he said actually the same way like, like the servant is a homeowner. And if the homeowner knew that the thief was coming then he wouldn't have allowed the house to be, like if we knew the guy with the t-shirt on his head was going to bust the side of the window out of the van Wednesday morning, really early, almost 1 a.m., then if we knew that, right, then Pastor Weston, Pastor Dylan, and Pastor Letitia and I, we would have all been on the roof, right, with, with not like real, okay, I'd have had a real gun somewhere just in case he returned fire, but mainly just probably paint guns, you know, and when he walked up and before he put his t-shirt on his head, he wrapped it around his wrist and he did like this, we'd have like opened fire, get him, you know, and we would have just painted this guy in the in the blood of Jesus you know just he got anointed right and then and then he wouldn't have done that and so we wouldn't have gotten robbed and and all this stuff would have been good but but we weren't here and then Jesus says hey in the same way unannounced and unexpected in the same way the son of man is going to show up and if you don't have oil in your lamp and you're not looking for him, then you're going to get left. And Peter's like, oh, man, why is he doing this? Does he know how much money these people could have given? Like, we could have done so much with all the resource he is scaring away right now. Jesus said, you need to be dressed and ready for service. And then all of a sudden he gets down to verse 46 and he reiterates what he's already been saying in Luke chapter 12. He says, the master will return to the servant who he left in charge, which is, by the way, the body of Christ. Those who call themselves believers. He will return unannounced, unexpected, and, and he will cut the servant in pieces Wow, this is why I wore my happy shirt today. <laughs> I really meant to say that in first service, and <laughs> I forgot, so you're welcome. He, he will banish him, look, 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 he will banish him with the unfaithful. And then he goes on, verse 47, and a servant who knows what the master wants, but isn't prepared and doesn't carry out those instructions will be severely punished. Like, if you knew what to do, but you just ignored it and assumed that God grades on a curve now. Like, if you knew what to do, but you just assumed that he didn't expect the same thing out of the Christians in America that he expected out of the Christians in Rome. Like, if you just thought that something had changed because... Technology has increased and knowledge has increased and we live in a different day and age. He says, but verse 48, but someone who does not know. Hey, aren't you glad like that you know better? Like I'm, I'm grateful that, that I was raised in, in the, the southern part of America. Like I was, I'm grateful that, that like my parents took me to church I wish they wouldn't have made me wear some of the things that they made me wear, but I'm grateful that I went, you know? 
Because those knicker stockings, those were never in style, mom, seriously. So, but I'm grateful I was there. Like, I'm grateful I learned the Bible stories, you know. I'm, I'm grateful for the, for the pen art and the, the flannel board and all the stuff, you know, where rocks were thrown in. I'm thankful. And guys, you should be too. We just take it for granted. Like, that we weren't raised in the bush of Kenya, and we've never heard the name of Jesus. And our, our ancestors and, and our grandparents and maybe even our parents still, still practice witchcraft. And we just take it for granted that we're born here. Aren't you grateful for where you were born? I'm not saying necessarily that the way you were brought up was perfect. And it may not be. It may not have been. But, but I'm grateful that like I've heard this message most of my life. Or at least I've had the opportunity to hear this message. Verse 48 says, someone who does not know, like the people that haven't heard this message, and then they do something wrong, they will be punished, but it's not going to be in the same way that people like us will be punished. When someone has been given much, like, like you're in the 97th percentile of the wealthiest people in the world, because you have running water, electricity, and, and you probably didn't come to church today in a buggy. You know? Like you probably didn't just come with Pat and Ben. It's my stepdad's joke. Pat your feet and bend your knees. You know, that's, you probably got here <laughs> with diesel or gasoline today. And that, that puts you in a high percentage. And what are we using those resources for? God said... When someone has been given much, much is required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. Then he continues in verse 49. I have come to set the world on fire. Somebody gave Jesus some bad water. I wish it was already burning. That's not reasonable. Guys, Peter is curled up in a corner like, why did I leave my family? Oh, my Lord, my wife is going to kill me. But I'm with the Lord. Can she kill me? I don't know. <laughs> this message is not going well. People aren't like waving hankies, you know, and wanting to play their favorite southern gospel song right now. It's like not what's happening. I've come to set the world on fire. Now, we understand because of the context of the conversation, right? That Jesus isn't just talking to that day and age. He's talking to them about the end of age. Because he's been saying, when the master returns, when the master returns, if you would have known the thief was coming, the master will return unexpected, unannounced. This is, this is about the last days. Come on, if we're not in the last days, we're closer than they were. Like 2,000 years closer. And Jesus is coming back at any time. And I'm wondering what we're doing with what he's given us. Are we just going with the flow like everybody else? That's why Jesus says, look, I came to set the world on fire. Like, because he understands this is going to happen. And then he even says, I wish it were already burning. Why? Because he's the one that gives the revelation to John. Like, Jesus is the one that John is talking to on the Isle of Patmos whenever he says the world is going to be baptized in fire. Like, everything that you see is going to be cleansed and purged so that I can create a new heaven and a new earth, but I'm not giving you as much choice in the matter this time. And then he goes to the next verse, verse 50. I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me. Do you see how Jesus is... He's looking at where he is currently, but at the same time, even though he sees the challenge of the cross, at the same time, he's looking forward to what the cross is going to purchase. Like, I came to baptize the world in fire. I came to set the world on fire. I wish it were already burning, but I can't do that yet because I have to do this. And it's unreasonable, and I wish there was another way, but there's not another way, so this is what I have to do. And then verse 53, it says, sorry, 51, do you think I have come to bring peace? Now, it doesn't mean that he just all of a sudden became anti-shalom. 
Hey, he's still Jehovah Shalom, even when he says this, which is God of my peace. In his presence, we still experience peace. But Jesus is not subject to one way of thinking. He is all things at all times to all people. And so in this, he makes sure that we understand that when it comes to unreasonable obedience, I didn't come so that you could just be happy. So you just be comfortable here on earth. No, watch this. He says, I have come to divide people against each other. Now, in all the, 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 the talk of unity, right, across the nation right now, and, and I agree, I agree. We should fight, as the scripture says, for the spirit of unity. The problem is a God-fearing child cannot be in unity with a ungodly reprobate. You cannot agree. In other words, if the lifestyle is, not unbi is unbiblical, I have to choose to be in unity with the spirit or be in unity with the sin. And no matter how I feel about the person that is sinning, I actually do them an injustice if I approve of their unbiblical behavior. I'll come back to it in a minute. You have to understand, this is what Jesus is saying. It's not that he doesn't want people to come together, and he doesn't want, because he's already spoken to those things. He's already spoken to compassion. He's challenged kindness. He's showing mercy. None of those things have changed. He's just saying, when it comes right down to it, if they're not united with my Father, I can't be united with them. And God is always bound by his word. And it hasn't changed in the last 2,000 years. So from now on, Jesus continues, verse 52, families will be split apart. Because of what some feel like is tolerable and what some feel like is intolerable. Families will be split apart. Three will be in favor of me and two will be against me because I'll challenge them in ways they don't want to be challenged. Or two in favor and three against. Father will be divided against son. Because the father will try to hold the son to a biblical standard that he no longer wants to be held to. Or the Bible says the son will, will go have to go against the father because the son will share a conviction that the father has never lived in. And when he tries to share that with the father, instead of supporting and celebrating, he will actually persecute and cause him to be demeaned and feel like less of a person because he would rather be with Jesus than be like his daddy. And Jesus is, he's not, he's not being ugly, he's prophesying what it's going to look like if you are willing to trade your life for his. Mother will be against daughter, and daughter against mother, and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law. <laughs> well, he really went out on a limb on that one, didn't he? <laughs> Daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. <laughs> Be warned, guys, it's not going to go well when you get them together. <laughs> Thanks, Jesus. <laughs> Saw that coming. Okay, so here's what we want to ask today. Thank you for <laughs> humoring me. Um, the question, is my Christianity based on reasonable risk or unreasonable obedience? In fact, we left you some space today in your notes, um, in your bulletin and online. If we didn't leave you enough space, then I would encourage you to just write out on the side or maybe type in your phone, because I want to spend the next few minutes defining what, what does reasonable risk mean? Because reasonable risk is the extent of many people's Christianity. We live in a nation where at the moment, at the moment, and I, and I stress at the moment, because it is fading and it is fading quickly. 
But at the moment, being a Christian and claiming Christianity is really not all that costly. In fact, it's just as beneficial as providing or being a part of any other nonprofit for the moment. Specifically, in units of the surrounding area, or maybe just South Louisiana or Louisiana in general, the South, it's actually fairly popular to still proclaim that you believe not in a God. It's actually fairly unpopular like to come out and say you don't believe in Jesus. Right now, it's still conducive to your comfort to claim Christianity. Christianity really has just become another part of our culture. The problem is it has not maintained itself as part of our conviction. And my fear is that as culture continues to change, conviction will continue to callous. Christianity has been politicized. Like, if you can convince the evangelical movement to support you, then you may have a better chance of getting an office. Christianity has become institutionalized. The problem with politicizing and institutionalizing Christianity is that some people have a hard time separating their political views from actual biblical views. And even people in the church are being divided because they're more interested on what mainstream media has to say than in what God's already said. And they pick and choose the ones that they want to operate in because the ones that offend them are obviously only for the people that they're offended by. Jesus has become an accessory, an additive, a sweetener to our regular way of living. For many people in our culture, giving their lives to Jesus is no sacrificial endeavor. It has nothing to do with surrender. It has nothing to do with the crucifixion of self. That's why marriage is just as high in divorce rate within the confines of the church body as it is in the American system because we think that we're supposed to get married by the way that we feel, but we don't know that understand that, uh, that faithfulness has nothing to do with the way that you feel. And as long as it's a reasonable risk, as long as they return my love and they return my covenant, then I will stay in this. But if somebody else does it better than them, then obviously it's God's will for me to be with them because God doesn't want me to feel this way. Considering Christianity has really just become synonymous with like the latest diet trend. Like, man, if, if I could just develop this new healthy habit. And so Christianity... And pastors have become synonymous with self-help life coaches. It's a new hobby I'm going to try or I'll add in like a, like a New Year's resolution. And I'll, if it works, then I'll keep doing it. But, but if, it, if it's like a gym membership, like if I have to eat healthy too, my Lord, man, if I have to like change other habits as well, I thought I could just like show up and, you know, do a couple of reps one hour a week and end up better, look like a bodybuilder spiritually, you know, go out and face the devil and just overcome the enemy. But it didn't work. So obviously God's not working. If we think it will make us better or more comfortable, it will give us a sense of eternal security, then we decide to give Jesus a chance along with everything else that we're also trying at the same time. Because at the end of the day, most people are not really after Jesus, they're just after a better life. They just want to be comfortable. It needs to be convenient and conducive, a, a feel-better fix-it-all that makes life and emotions. Jesus and the church are, are right there with the rest of the self-help solutions in, in that section of the library or our Amazon account. And if you listen to many sermons and many pastors, they're selling this same feel-good Americana gospel, and it only works in America because of the amount of resource that we actually have. But you can't get away with this kind of stuff in Asia and Africa. Dr. Brian Jarrett, one of my pastors that I listen to often, he said it this way. He said, Jesus has become a faith-based quick fix to better my life. It's reasonable risk Christianity. It says, it says, I will follow Jesus if. 
I will follow Jesus if it makes my life better. I will follow Jesus if it doesn't cost me any friends in high school. I will follow Jesus if I still get accepted into that sorority or that fraternity. I will follow Jesus if I'm still able to pursue that promotion. I will follow Jesus if it benefits me, if it makes me look better or feel better. If Jesus fixes my problem, if he heals my pain, if it's reasonable to risk it, then I will give Jesus a chance as long as it remains convenient. If it doesn't cost me anything or challenge me or in any way, or as long as the the preacher doesn't say anything offensive like I will cut you up and throw you into a lake of fire. At the moment, in fact, the moment that somebody asks me to do something that causes me to deny myself, to not affiliate with what I want to affiliate with, to not do what I'm not supposed to do, the moment that somebody tries to hold me to a standard that goes against what I want, the moment that somebody asks me to serve beyond my natural capacity, the moment that somebody asks me to give out of my lack, just not my leftovers, the moment that somebody challenges me outside of my comfort zone, in any way, I'm out. I'll go to church somewhere else. I don't need all that. That's judgmental. Jesus said, don't judge, and who are you to judge me? Yeah, Jesus also said, if you see your brother in sin, rebuke him. And then Paul wrote to the church in Corinth that it would be better to hand that guy over to the devil for a season than for him to lose his soul in hell for all eternity. You don't get to pick and choose which of Jesus' words you want to apply to your life. Few of us would ever admit that we've done it this way, but Jesus has actually, just to put it in Cajun terms, Jesus has really just become a little bit more than a seasoning. We just want to add Jesus to our already chosen lives because if we add Jesus, it'll taste better. I don't want to change what I eat. I just want to add Jesus so it'll taste better. We add Jesus with the expectation of, of instant gratification or immediate results or, or immediate return on our investment. And if God doesn't live up to our expectations, we compromise our conviction, we push our faith to the back burner, and or worse, we walk away altogether and blame God on the way out. It's reasonable risk. We live by situational ethics. It's why we think God has changed his mind based on how we feel about where we are in society. And we call immorality enlightenment. And we post more about respecting others than we do respecting God's word. Whatever causes me the most approval. See, what happens to students when they leave a youth ministry and go to college is not that they actually fall off the wagon. They don't really change anything. What changes is the atmosphere from which they sought approval. And when the atmosphere that they were receiving approval from begins to change, then they just do whatever it takes to be approved in that atmosphere because that's all they really learned in their former atmosphere. Whatever causes me the least amount of resistance, that's what I'll do. But that's not Christianity. It's American Christianity. But it's not biblical Christianity. And so I challenge you with me, because I'm in this with you, to ask yourself, is my Christianity a reasonable risk, or does it look more like the New Testament? as an unreasonable act of obedience that doesn't make sense to anybody else but me and the Holy Spirit. Unreasonable obedience. Acts chapter 20. Paul says this in verse 21. I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike. Let's say it this way. I have had one message for Republicans and Democrats alike. I have one message for black people and white people alike. I have one, one message for Asian and Latino, for Americans and Africans. I have one message. Jews and Greeks. Jesus already settled these issues. I'm going to preach a message next week called Awake, Not Woke. 
bring a friend. <laughs> Paul said, I have one message. The necessity of repenting from sin. Like, you don't get to get drunk on the Holy Spirit on Sundays and drunk on something else next Saturday. That's not how this thing works. I have one message. Oh, you thought I was just talking about alcohol. No, I'm talking about what you watch on Netflix. <laughs> what you listen to every day at work. What you fill your head with that comes out of your mouth. I have one message. The necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God. Because this is not just about behaving better. This is about becoming like Jesus. And then Paul says, and having faith in our Lord Jesus. And by the way, this sermon is not for somebody else. This sermon is for you. He keeps going in verse 22. And now I am bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except, verse 23, I love this, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. Yay! Let's live for Jesus, y'all. It's going to be a lot of fun in the last days. Verse 24, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me. This is so important. Because Paul says, it doesn't matter what I accumulate. And it doesn't matter what friends stick by. It doesn't matter who passes from this life to the next while I'm still here. My life is invaluable. It is worth absolutely nothing. If I don't use my life to finish the purpose for which God placed me on this earth, in other words, Paul said, it doesn't matter what I do for a living if I don't use my living to help other people find life. It doesn't matter. My life is worth nothing except for finishing the work assigned to me by Jesus and the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Like, what if American Christians were really Christians? Could you imagine what we could do? Could you imagine the God-fearing shift that could actually take place in this culture if we understood unreasonable obedience, even if they threatened to make bullets more expensive? My bad. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24. Paul says five times, this isn't in your notes, you just reference this one, go read it. He says, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. The Jews believed that the 40th, 40th lash would kill you, so the Romans would just strike you 39 times with a cat of nine tails. Five times Paul received what Pilate sentenced Jesus to receive. He continues, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Three times I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. By the way, not on a boat. He was in the open sea, like drifting. Well, maybe this is this is probably it right here. He says, I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, bandits. I've been in danger from fellow Jews. I've been in danger from Gentiles. There's not a people group that's going to love you more than another people group when you proclaim the name of Jesus in the last days. I've been in danger in the country, in the city, at sea. I've been in danger from false believers. Not unbelievers, but false believers. Americana Christianity types. I've labored and toiled and I've gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. That's how he ends that passage in 2 Corinthians 11. Hardships became so commonplace in the life of the Apostle Paul that he just assumed them. In fact, like when they weren't happening, when they weren't happening, he assumed something may be wrong. Like, man, I may be going in the wrong direction right now. Paul was chased out of Antioch of Iconium by death threats. He went to the next city just to be stoned for his faith. 
He was left for dead in Lystra. He was actually dragged out of the city. They thought they had killed him. And then he woke up and he was like, oh, I made it. He went back into the city and started preaching again. He was stripped and flogged and imprisoned in Philippi. He was chased by a mob of angry Jews in Thessalonica. He was physically abused and dragged into court in Corinth. He survived another riot in Ephesus. Like he didn't just get on Facebook and complain about the riots. Like he went and let the light shine in the darkness. He was plotted against in Syria. When he finally got to Jerusalem, he was flogged and beaten again. He had to be smuggled out of the city in order to survive the first time. He was later shipwrecked. He swam ashore to the island of Malta. In the middle of that shipwreck, he began to try to get a fire together for the people that he was with. And when he reached under a log to, to help light the fire, he was struck by a viper. He was snake bit. Thanks, God. You put me here, now I get bit by a snake. He goes to sleep that night, everybody expects him to die. He wakes up the next morning, they think he's a god. He leads the entire village to Jesus. They all confess Paul's God because of his faith. He was caught in a hurricane force wind on the shore of Crete. He finally, finally made it to Rome. He was thrown in a dungeon and ultimately had his head chopped off. Go buy his book. It's not called Your Blessed Life Now. It's not what he wrote. He did write a letter to his spiritual son in the faith in 2 Timothy. In shackles and chains of a Roman jail cell, knowing that he was about to lose his life. Not knowing how, but he had heard from the Holy Spirit that this was it. And he writes this in verse 5. Hey, Timothy, who is in Corinth, the Las Vegas of the Roman Empire. Hey, Timothy, you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Even when the umpire calls a bad strike, I'm just saying. You should keep a clear mind even when the legislation that you don't like is going forth on the floor. You should keep a clear mind when what's going viral is anti-biblical. You can't be united with an antichrist. You gotta choose, but you have to keep a clear mind don't look like a brash fool who is just as confounded by what to do as the rest of the world who doesn't know the God that you claim you know. Keep a clear mind, Timothy. Don't rant and rave like everybody else rants and raves. Keep a clear mind. You have to be the voice of reason in the midst of the chaos. Keep a clear mind. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Come on, we're afraid that the United States government or the Louisiana legislature is gonna take some rights away. And we lose our minds. We're not gonna take our rights away. This isn't freedom of speech. A right to bear arms, what is going on? Why do I sound like Vito? I don't know. Losing our minds. We're not being persecuted. Our children are not being murdered. That's in Iran right now. No, no, no. We're going to be afraid of suffering for the Lord. This is Paul. Like, it doesn't mean I'm not scared. It doesn't mean I'm not trying to keep my babies from being exposed to this world. Well, you can't shield them forever. No, but I can prepare them until they're not shielded. I shouldn't be the reason they're exposed preach that some other time <laughs> work at telling uh, here's what you need to be working on Paul says work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you in other words you work for one purpose and that purpose is to live for Jesus and help other people do the same if that's not your purpose then you're not New Testament Christian as for me says Paul, not Chris. 
As for me, my life has already been poured out as a drink offering, one version says to God. Like, this is what God called me to. You ever notice that Paul never says anything about his parents? He never says anything about his brothers and sisters or wife or children. No, scholars believe he wasn't married, that's why, but it doesn't mean that he was never with a lady. It means he left all that stuff. Like he was brought up as a Roman citizen with Jewish elite privilege as a Pharisee. And he left it all. He's writing a letter to some kid he led to Jesus in Antioch. This is his only son. It's the only person he knows to write to. Because he's been divided from the rest of his family for following Jesus. He says, hey, my life's been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I read this scripture at Brother Irby Joseph Olivier's funeral this past week. He said this, I have fought the good fight. I know, I know you're supposed to read these kind of things at funerals, but I don't read things because I'm supposed to. I only read them when they apply. I read it at Brother Irby's funeral because his daughter told me a story the day before about him being in the nursing home, watching his wife suffer with dementia, separated from his family. He's in the nursing home and his daughter reaches down and says, Daddy, I'm so sorry I put you in here. I'm so sorry. He goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. just like a good daddy would. You didn't put me in here. God put me in here. I'm in here for a reason. You should have heard the testimonies of the attendants at Oak Lanes talk about Irby Joseph Olivier. Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Watch this. I have remained faithful. Unreasonable obedience. Let me give you this illustration we're going to leave today. A lot of us, we wake up every morning, and as soon as we begin to have thoughts, we do this to ourselves. We put on the weight of comparison. We don't wake up and think, man, what God, what do you have for me to accomplish today? No, no, no. We wake up and think, oh my gosh, what do I have to get done today? And we use his name in vain on the way there. So we put the weight of comparison and, and the pressure to perform for people or to, to do whatever we think we need to get done so that we can earn the approval of men and women or maybe even boys and girls. Whatever it is that, that we think will bring us convenience and comfort, that's the weight that we put on when we first wake up. And then we get out of bed and we start adding all these other things. And I, I like to lead with this one because it's funny. Um, this, is, this is Emery's helmet. This is all she got for her birthday last year because this is, this is the helmet she wanted. This one. Not the other one that was $40 less, but this helmet. So daddy, mama wasn't there. She probably wouldn't have got it. Daddy's there. She got this helmet she wore at one time in 2020. It was awesome. It still kind of fit this year, but, but she wore it in Jesus' name. Oh, you're going to wear that helmet. It's kind of tight. No, it's not. It's keeping you focused, baby. You just put, put that helmet on. We have all these hobbies and, and all these things that we think we need to do, and I wouldn't be, I'd be amiss if I, I didn't have like a, a duck in there somewhere. I, I, I like to go hunting. I probably should have had some golf clubs because you're not a real pastor if you can't play in a scramble. It's just part of it. Like that's, that's the pressure. And then, and then we have this, this new building project. Like I'm on the phone with, with the, the architects and, and engineers, and I'm obviously a general contractor now as well, so I need to read them. Oh my goodness, I almost forgot my cell phone. I've gone back inside 17 times. I've got to return those 975 emails that I have and the 27 text messages that my wife doesn't understand why I don't delete. And so she opens them for me and I forget to reply and then people get mad at me. And I've got a voicemail from somebody with Senator Mike Johnson's office that I really need to call back because a judge in the community gave them my name. So it's obviously important, but I really need to go, oh man, my favorite 
favorite team is on TV right now. I know I can't really afford another $150 worth of cable every month, but instead of supporting these missionaries, I'm watching the Tigers this year. And so it doesn't matter what it costs me. I got to make sure my favorite team knows I care about them. And of course, it's really important to save for Gabriel's college fund, because if I don't save for the college fund, then I don't know, he'll have to do something else for a living or get a job when he goes to school. And so, oh man, I almost forgot, like I was leaving without even thinking about my family. So let's put that real close to my heart because they're really important. And then obviously I got to the church and I had all this stuff I needed to do, but we got this new school and they've got paper and stuff that I need somebody to take down. So I'll just carry this because I'm a servant at heart and Jesus saved me to serve. So I'm going to make sure maybe I should give this to somebody else instead of dropping it all over the floor. Oh my Jesus, I almost forgot you. Okay, I'm going to add you into my day. And then before, you know, anybody that can carry the cross can go to CrossFit. So I got all this stuff. I'm going to, I'm going to, let's go, Jesus. I got it all figured out. I have added Jesus. I am a Christian because I'm carrying my cross with all my other stuff. And as long as God blesses my already overwhelming plans, then I'll keep him involved. But the moment just one of these things goes astray, I'm going to wonder if he's even paying attention. And in America, we call this Christianity. And by the way, I'm not even carrying any bills right now. Unless they're in those emails. <laughs> and we look like this and then we come to church for one hour a week after we've been watching everything else. And we expect God to just help us make up for lost time because we showed up three Sundays a month and we gave almost 5% of our finances last year and called it being faithful. And we have been saving and spending and performing and pressuring ourselves into everything that everybody expects of us. And we call that reasonable risk Christianity. And God said, hey, man, enough is enough. Come to me, ye who are weary and heavy laden. Cast your cares upon me. I care for you. This is not Christianity. Christianity doesn't look like carrying all that stuff around and asking God to make it work. Christianity looks like this. And this, this becomes the only thing that matters because my life is worth nothing if Jesus doesn't come before everything else. Unreasonable obedience to God even when the world and everything around me is falling apart he's still good and he has a plan would you bow your head and close your eyes with me today father i thank you for your word that it does not return unto you void god i thank you that we can trust you even when we don't feel it. God, I pray today that we would evaluate, is there anything that really comes before Jesus in my life? My children, success, athletics, academics, material, I don't know if I can name it, but the Holy Spirit can. Let him show you what you're putting before him and lay that thing down at the cross today. 
I don't want to just serve you because of what you can do for me. I want to serve you because of who you are. No matter what happens, I will follow Jesus. Nothing comes before Jesus in the gospel, nothing. If you're in the room today or you're listening online and you've never received salvation or maybe you have at one time but you know you have not been following Jesus recently. If today you need to commit or recommit your life to him, receive salvation, be born again, confess Jesus as Lord. Come on, if that's you, I wanna invite you to open your hands right where you are. Maybe you're confident of who you are in Christ, but you feel like the Holy Spirit is telling you to open your hands and posture yourself in surrender anyways. Just be obedient as the Holy Spirit leads you today. If that's you, I'm gonna invite you to pray this prayer with us. This prayer may not save you, but it can start you on the path to your salvation. Being born again and beginning to grow in God's will for your life. The Bible does say, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's hard enough to live out. Don't make it too difficult to begin. Open your hands with me. Church, I want to invite you to pray along. Pray out loud so that anybody in this room that needs to pray this prayer would have the confidence to know that they are not alone. Come on, let's pray it together. Jesus, forgive me where I've fallen. I've been distracted disobedient I let the concerns of this world get in the way of your will right now I believe you gave your life so I could live for more than earth you gave your life so I could be forgiven you shed your blood so I could be saved you were raised from the dead so I could be born again made new just like you so take my life every area of my life make it yours may i follow you with all of my heart from this day forward i surrender all right now in jesus name amen come on can you give god praise today